But this morning, I want to end our time. So I'll say this. I'm going to cover a lot in a short period of time, okay? So I just want you to go ahead and know that in advance. And so, um, and if you're one of those, you just literally love to go word by word by verse. We're not doing that this morning. We're going to, we're going to throw out just some overarching things about Paul's getting at. And, uh, and then next week, just hear me this next week, we're going to begin talking for several weeks about the power of God needed to live our lives for Jesus. Talking about the power of God. And I'm going to go ahead and just give you a heads up on it. Some things I'm going to say, you're going to go, amen. I'm going to say some things, you're going to want to stone me. And I'm going to say some things you're just not sure you're going to agree with. I'm going to go ahead and lay that out there for you in advance. That's kind of like that teaser to get you back next week, right? It's terrible to do, but I'm doing it, right? Because I want to begin talking about these things I believe God is stirring even in my own heart about what it means to when, 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 when uh, uh, Paul says, it says, my, 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 um, what does it say? In my weakness, he is strong, right? I'm made, I'm, I'm made strong in my weakness. What does that really mean? Talk about this power found in weakness, right? What does it really mean, Revelation, when we see the, this great example of the power of the Lion of Judah expressed in a weak lamb? What does that mean? And then what does that mean for us as we live every day of our life crying out to God, God, just give us power. And what does that mean? For our lives every day. All right? So that's kind of the precursor. You can start coming for the next several weeks and uh, let's just see where God takes us in it. All right. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to, what am I doing? What am I pointing at? Okay. Oh, if you can pass the, Randall's reminder, take the baskets and pass them back down for our tithes and our offerings. Thank you, Randall. Connect and connect cards. If you like connect card, first time guest, put that in the, the thing. If you're new to vintage, I'll always forget to take up the tithes and our offerings, so I apologize. For that, so fill a connect card, put that in the basket, pass it back down for the tithes and the offerings. I'm just excited about where we're going this morning. So, anyway, all right, that'd be great. Right, so this morning, what I want to do is this: we're going to begin. We're going to begin by a kind of like a little foreshadowing from the life of Jesus that I think informs Paul's message to the Philippian church in the last half of chapter four. In chapter six of Matthew, there's this great sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, right? In the context of that, it has the Beatitudes, right? It's this, this, these words of Jesus that if we live by, if every Christian in the world decided today, I'm going to flesh out every moment of my life living like the Sermon on the Mount described by Jesus, immediately worldwide revival would happen, right? There'd just be this renewal within the church. We would actually begin making a difference in the lives of our neighbors and the lives of the, the world that we live in because of the message that Jesus shares in that place. And they're in, in Matthew chapter 4, like chapter 7. It's amazing. It's an incredible sermon. It's probably sermons throughout Jesus' life all put together in the beginning of Matthew, probably not just one long, actually spoken sermon. There's really matter. All that matters is that the, the words of Jesus are present here as this long sermon about what he thinks the Christian life should look like and what the life of a believer should look like. And so in that, he makes a concluding statement from a bunch of thoughts up here. And the concluding statement was simply this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So let me just say this. There are volumes and volumes written about the kingdom of God. But for simplicity's sake this morning, I want you to think about the kingdom of God as simply being the stuff of God. 
The stuff of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, right? The longings of Jesus, the direction of Jesus, the calling of Jesus, all of these things. It's just the stuff of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes and says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's simply saying, I want you to seek first the stuff of God, the, the desires of God, the things he's doing in the end times, the things that he's doing right now. All the things that God is about, I want you to seek those things first, right? It's uber simplistic this morning for that, but for our sake, I want you to think the kingdom of God being the stuff of God and everything that he encompasses, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So Jesus is looking back at what he's just spoken about in these things, and the kind of the thought for me kind of begins when, when Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or she will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We used, the word, used, to, used to use the word mammon, right? But it simply means it's money. It's, you can't serve two masters. Either serve one, you love one, and hate the other, hate the other and love the one. Whatever it may be, right? There's this whole dynamic. Jesus is saying, listen, there's this dynamic going on that you have to be someone aware of who your master is. You can only have one. And then he takes the next several verses and shows the fruit of those who make money their master. And so he, he names it in these things. He says, well, you will, have, you will have anxiety about what you're going to eat, right? You will have anxiety about what you're going to eat. And he says, and you will have worry about what you will be wearing. Remember that? It says, Talk about the, the birds of the fields and the, see, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and how God is providing for them, right? And he says, and he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough to worry about in and of itself. And then he comes down and he says, he says, um, he comes in and he talks and he says, listen, seek first the stuff of God and all of these things that you worry about, that you have anxiety about, that are a fruit of choosing money as your master. They'll be present in your life, but if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek first the stuff of God and, and what God is about, if you give yourself wholeheartedly, this is my desire, this is my longing, this is my direction, then all these things that you worry and have anxiety about will be given to you. Your needs will be met. That is this foundation that leads us to the second half of chapter 4 of Philippians. So Philippians, Paul comes in and he, and he says this. He begins to lay out and, and, and is telling them to watch out for their heart affections, right? The focus of their lives. This is their heart affections and their minds and what they're focusing on. And he says this in verse 8 and 9. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because on to verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So what Paul is doing here is he's referencing, looking back, to the things he's already written in his letter. He's already laying out for them these expectations and these desires of his in the context of discipling them 
to be the followers of Jesus that they need to be expressing the love of Jesus every day of their life, right, to, to each other and to their neighbors. And so he's coming along saying, listen, I've just spoken to you these things that are true and that are noble and that are right. And he goes on, he says later, he says, are oh, the things that you've seen in me. He's literally expressing them in his life. So all you're hearing Paul say, listen, I've just taught you a bunch of stuff, and I've actually expressed it and how I live my life, and you've seen it. So I want you to focus every moment of every day on these things. Remember, seek first the stuff of God. That's what he's getting at. Seek first the kingdom of God. He can seek first all of these things that he's been speaking about that are related to the kingdom of God, the stuff of God, and what God is doing in them and what God is doing through them in the community in which they live. And so Paul begins this first thing saying, listen, focus your heart's desire, your heart and your mind and everything on seeking first the kingdom, seeking first the stuff of God, these things that I've named for you. So as we dive into this message this morning, the first thing I want you to see is this, for your own lives, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Is the the fruit of of peace that he names here. Put into practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Or is the fruit of another master being expressed in your life? Selfishness and worry and anxiety and frustration and anger. There are lots of fruits that are out there. What is marking your life? We have, he named two masters, Jesus did. He says, if you will serve and seek first the kingdom and make God your master, then you will have, he won't be living in anxiety, worry, fear, anger, and frustration. Why? Because the God of peace will be with you. We could name it the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness. Seek first the kingdom. Set your heart's affection, your mind's focus on the stuff of God. So it continues to go on. Then I I believe what he begins to do in the next few verses is he begins to to lay out for the the Philippians a, a very biblical principle on how they should view, interpret, and define finances, giving, and receiving in their own life. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. I'll tell you, I'm running through a lot of verses this morning. It says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, listen, I have learned, listen, don't just read this, and listen, don't just read, don't just read this along I'm about to read and go, oh, that's pretty cool for the the Philippians. I want you to read. I want you to put yourself here. I want you to allow these words to interpret how you're living life. I want you to allow it to define for you how you're living. These words must be spoken from God to shape you and to define how you are living, right? So here we go. He says, I have learned, says, I'm not saying that I need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content with other circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, living in poverty, and I know what it is to have plenty and living in excess. I have learned the secret. It's a secret. 
that Paul's learned. I've learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. For I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You recognize that verse. I mean, if you ever did SCA, they love to throw that verse out. They're sitting doing some sort of sporting event. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? They're speaking way out of context. Here's the context. Talking about living content in the midst of poverty or in excess. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Don't miss that phrase. I'm looking for what can be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. This is beautiful. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs. Stop there. My God will meet all of your needs. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so get the picture for Paul. Get the picture. Be a poor guy, poor dude. He's sitting there in prison. He's sitting in prison, right? Probably got some guard either outside or sitting inside with him. And what's he doing? He's probably sitting there because he's a holy guy. He's probably praying, right? If he has some sort of like scrolls of the scripture, maybe reading those. Or he's just writing what's going to end up becoming scripture, right? Writing letters to the churches that he's planted all throughout the, the, his world that he's been a part of, right? And he's sitting there. And, then, and, he, and he's hearing all these things about himself that possibly tomorrow may be the day that he dies. He's in prison, right? He ultimately ends up dying for his faith. So we don't know what's going on. But, it's, but prison's not a happy place, Right? And so he's sitting there, and, and to, to compound it, the letters that he's getting back from all of these churches are naming all this quarreling, all this strife. All, he's hearing stories about brothers and sisters in the faith literally being driven away from the true gospel of Jesus. He's preached to them. And he's, he's a father there. And he's got people telling him he's not really even an apostle to begin with. And I can't believe they ever listened to him. He's hearing all these letters. And let me tell you something. Paul wasn't a great apostle, man of God, but he was a man, a human being, just like us. And he's sitting in a moment and he's wrestling. There's tension that he's dealing with in his heart and in his mind. He's a human being just like you. And all of a sudden something happens to knock on the door. There's a gift for the prisoner. That's a, that's a jailer voice, really deep and really manly, whatever. There's a prisoner. There's a, there's a gift for the prisoner. And Paul accepts. Oh, great. Probably another letter. Talking about how terrible everything is in the Church of Corinth. Fantastic, right? Opens it up, and all of a sudden they bring this gift. He brings it in and plops it down on the floor of the table. Who knows what he has? And he looks at it. He's like, uh-oh. It's either really good or really bad, right? Kind of probably begins to peel it back. <clears throat> and he opens it up and you know what it was? It was a care package. It was a care package. I mean, Adam, have you ever received a care package? I mean, Adam's in the army, right? You received a care package. I mean, when you get that, I'm sure, just like this, this 
home, like part of home, right? Something from someone who loves you is there present, right? There's this extended community, right? It's not just, oh, those distant missionary over there, Paul. No, it's part of the family that he's connected with. And he realizes, who's this from? It's from your loved ones in Philippi, your partners in the ministry. He's like, I love the Philippians. Oh, my gosh. Right? He's looking at it. And verse 10 tells us that his response is to rejoice. He's rejoicing, we, and we recognize he's rejoicing at a real simplistic level. He's just gotten something for someone that he loves. We completely get that, right? Oh, it's so good to receive from, from those who love me. It says that he was amply supported in verse 18, right? There's this joy. He's amply supported. It's a very good thing, and he rejoices on one level. But the other level of his rejoicing is something that I believe speaks volumes with the lesson that, that Paul has learned in his life. It says that, he, that he rejoices because of how God will respond to their sacrifice of obedience. He says in verse 18, says, Your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Scripture tells us, Jesus says, How, how do I know that you love me because you obey my commands? The Philippians have come and they says, God, we want to love you. And we're going to express that by obeying you, by loving our neighbor, Paul, who is in need, right? There's this, there's this sacrifice of giving, right? Of sacrificially giving. We recognize from, from the Philippians, listen, their life is difficult, some of them, right? Some of them are living in utter poverty. Some of them have some level of wealth. But they're living in this place. And it's a difficult moment of their own life. But they're remembering their loved one, this one they're in community with, this part of their family, bringing this, this, this beautiful gift. And Paul is basically looking and saying, it's a fragrant offering, but I recognize, and hear this, I recognize that when you give, whether it's your time and your energy or your resources or money itself, that yes, you're giving and those who are receiving will rejoice, but ultimately he's getting at this, but I recognize that the ultimate audience of, of your sacrifice is God. And it's a pleasing aroma to him. It's, listen, it doesn't make him love you more. It doesn't increase love. It doesn't get you saved even, right? All it does, like a father who or a mother who looks at their child, who does something sacrificial in obedience, and your heart just goes, oh, I just love my son. I love my daughter so too. That's what he's getting. It's a fragrant aroma. It just pleases the heart of the father. And then he comes in and, he's, and, he, and he recognizes this gift and he says, in verse 19, he says, And my God will then meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I want you to see this very clearly. He, I love this picture. That there's an, there's, a, there's an interaction, a transaction that goes down and the, of us expressing love and God then can't help but love back. And so what we find then is he says, I will meet your needs. It doesn't say that he meets our wants. It doesn't mean we come to God and say, God, I'm going to give you this. Now give me back this. Right? No, it says as we are sacrificially giving ourselves, whatever it may be, that he is always faithful to, to recognize our greatest need and meet us in that place out of his love for us. So, what we find in Paul then, I believe, I'm going to kind of just restate everything that I just said, is Paul wants to pass on to his friends. He wants to pass on to his friends this message that freed him, honestly, from the love of money, 
the love of power, and it's power over him. Akin to the writing of Jesus in Matthew 6 of saying, hey, listen, you're going to serve, you have these masters, you can only serve one. You can only serve one. Seek first the stuff of God, and everything that you actually need will be given to you. But you've got to seek first the kingdom of God and the stuff of God. So what we see, number one, is this. Contentment was found in Jesus. Contentment for Paul was found in Jesus. Listen, he rejoiced in the gift, but he didn't need it. He says, seek first the kingdom, love God, not money. Only one master, only one who can provide satisfaction. Paul says in verse 11 and 12, I have learned to be content in every circumstance, whether when I was in great poverty and need or when I had an excess of stuff. Is basically what he's saying. I've learned the content to be content, whether I've got a lot of stuff or whether I have nothing. I find I find that my contentment is only found in seeking God and knowing God. And then verse thirteen, the context says that I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. That's the secret. His source is Jesus. His source is the knowledge of Jesus. His source is the seeking of God every day and of relationship with Him. Jesus says He would pull away. He would pull away and go to the mountain to be with God. Why? So that He could receive contentment by being with Him, His source of life. Contentment found in Jesus. In times of plenty or in times of need, right? We have a lie that we live in as human beings that when we have lack, we're missing something. And that when we have excess, well, it's all that we need more. And Paul's coming and saying, listen, when you give yourself to another master other than God, the fruit is always worry and anxiety and fear and all of these things. But if you give yourself to seeking the stuff of God, the kingdom of God, you will find this contentment that no one on earth could ever give you. And yes, you'll rejoice when you receive a gift, but you know you don't need it because you have him. Second thing Paul says is our giving is done for an audience of one. Our giving is done for an audience of one. Listen, when you come in today and you take your basket and you give to Vintage, I'm not looking at you. I don't care if you give to Vintage. Right? I don't. All I want, all I care about is you being obedient to give what God is calling you to give, whether it's your time, your money, your energy, your resources. I don't care. Right? I'm looking for you to have an audience of one. And the audience is simply this. It's not coming to earn something or to prove something to God. It's simply saying, God, I love you. I love what you've given me. And I want to give back of your resources back to you as a gift to those who are in need. God, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. And scripture tells us, it says that it's credited to our account. Again, Our relationship, there's a transaction that goes down between every human being when they express love for one another. Let me tell you something. When I come to my wife and I sit down and I get, listen, for all of you who know love languages, my wife's love language is acts of service. If I will come every day and clean dishes, right, I'm not going to wash the clothes because I'll make them pink or something, make them change colors, right? But if I'll just take them, I'll do stuff for her and get the kids up and let her sleep in. I mean, I have had a transaction of love between she and I, and our love life is a lot better. In every facet. 
And I say that jokingly, but seriously, that there's a transaction that goes down between us when I express love selflessly to her. And guess what? She responds back to me. And there's this transaction. And so what he's saying is it's credited to your account. He's saying there's a transaction of love going down between you and the Father when you give sacrificially. When we give, when you financially, listen, when you take your checkbook or you move money online or you take out your wallet and give cash, it's not a transaction of proving your, not, of not, it's not proving anything. It's simply expressing love for the audience of one, God only. And that's why we give. It's not to prove anything. It's just to express love. So the third thing we see is then that God responds. God responds. There's that transaction that comes back to us, right? And so I, I'm really, really hesitant to even name this because of the circles of church that have abused this message. We call it the prosperity gospel. I could begin to name names, Creflo Dollar about people who go and preach this message that is anti-Jesus, saying if you give to God, then he's going to give back to you. And and so they give with this unhealthy motive of giving so that I can receive. And then what we do, we sit there and we look at our checking account to wait for him to pour money back in. And what God, what I'm saying this morning is this, God, when we love him, he will love us back. And what scripture tells us is that he won't give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. He will pour himself out into you because he loves you. Several years ago, before my mom died, we went to a prayer for a healing service. All right. And we went and I, and I listen, there was this guy who couldn't speak a lick of English and he had a guy helper who could speak a little bit of English. And I grabbed him. He was smaller than I was, which was a miracle. Right. And I grabbed him and I grabbed him like this. This is your praying for my mom. He's like, OK, you know, whatever. So we there's thousands of people there. And I grabbed my mom. And she, listen, she has, do you know, my mom, incredible physical difficulties. She could she she could barely walk. And so I'm holding her up and I'm making the way I'm parsing. Get out of the way. I'm literally screaming at people in this church. service. Get out of the way. Right. I wanted this man to touch my mom. Right. I wanted healing to come to her. I wanted this transaction of love to come from her. I had expectations of what it was going to look like. We sit down, excuse me, we walk over and I'm sit down. We walk over and I grab him again, right? She's here. He's like, okay, right? And so the guy comes over and puts, hand, puts his hand on top of her head and she just falls out in the spirit, right? I mean, she's just like knocked out. She just boom, comes to the floor I'm like, oh, my mom died, right? Protect her pull, she was still alive, great, right? So I figure God's in the middle of doing something. And I'm thinking, he's about to heal her body, right? She can play tennis again. So just, her dream for 20 years was simply to go out and play tennis, right? I was like already thinking about this tennis match and how I was going to let her win this tennis match, right? We're having this whole thing going down in my mind. God's going to heal her. It's fantastic. And so all of a sudden, she kind of comes to, and I'm like, oh, you know, I was like the kid at Christmas. Are you okay? How are you doing? How are you feeling? I bring her up. We sit in the front row of the church, right? And I was like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? And she's like, I don't know. God just did something. Well, it's a real easy test to see if she see if she's better, because if she can walk across the floor without limping or being grimacing in pain, then she's healed. Fantastic! I said, "Hey, mom, one test. Take off." She's like, "Okay, right?" And she takes off with a very little limp and a grimace on her face. I'm like, "Oh God!" Had expectations of how he would respond. I sit down and say, "God, what do you?" What do you what do you think? What do you think God did? And she goes, I can't tell you. I'm like, why? She goes, she said, because 
I just realized there was a need for healing internally that I had no idea was there. And God just did it. All of a sudden I realized I had, if I had pigeonholed myself with a single expectation, I would have missed how God was actually pouring himself out. Let me tell you something, people. All of us miss God every day because we tell him how to move. We give explicit expectations of what we want and forget and miss completely that he recognizes our needs. And he pours himself out. God responds. This morning, we have to begin to recognize that Scripture is saying dwell on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. The stuff of God, give ourselves to it, right? The kingdom of God, seek it first as a priority in your life. It has to define your motives, the motives of your heart, the actions of your lives in regards to money and finances, your energy and your time and how you hang out with your neighbor and how you drive and how you do all of these things, right? Everything that you do must be defined by the stuff of God. Then Paul comes and he tells a second, he says, then you have to allow scripture to define how you deal with your resources and your money and your time. And he comes and he just names it clearly. He says, listen, your contentment in life is not found in stuff. Your contentment, listen, is found in Jesus, even when you're living in the midst of poverty. Does that define your life? In the midst of all things, we find contentment found in him. It's the secret that Paul found. We find that, that then how we spend our money and how we, that how we give our resources is simply an expression of our love for Jesus. It's just simply one way that Paul found that we express love to him for an audience of one. And then as long as we keep our heart motives in check, we can simply live in confidence of saying, I, can, I can't wait to see what God does. The care package that he sends in a sense, right? How he moves in my life according to the needs that I have. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be provided to you, right? That's the heart of Jesus for us. So for us, we just took up a year-end offering. Now notice, because I hate manipulation, I spoke this message after we already took up our year-end offering at Vintage, right? Because I don't want you to feel manipulated because I want to punch pastors who do that. In the face and in the gut, both at the same time, right? So it was a blessing. It was a blessing then for just to watch how so many of you have already embraced this reality, right? We raised close. See, we raised. You gave. And it's an act of love to God for an audience of one close to $30,000 from vintage to go toward that are specifically going towards the needs of our community, right? And the things we, we're investing into at vintage, right? Part of it's going towards staffing because it'll help us to do community transformation better. We're investing into the Abney Elementary School up here. We're doing our outreach. We're investing it into Merchants Court Apartments here in Dallas by going and reaching them, right? Specifically going out. And it's exciting to see how so many of you are already giving sacrificially as an act of love for the audience of one. So kudos to you. Thank you. All I want to say is thank you for your obedience. I don't know how much you gave individually, but I'm thankful for your obedience. The second thing this morning is I simply want to give you an opportunity to respond. This is a basket. It's made out of something like wood, right? And what I want you to do this morning is we come into our ministry time. We're going to have times of ministry. If you need to come forward, you want to get prayer, you can. But I want you this morning... I want you this morning to pray into, God, what does it look like for me to be obedient to invest into what Molly and Dylan are doing?
right? They name two primary things, right? And I've already talked to them about this. They have $1,000 worth of needs that they have to basically pay back, pay back what they've already spent out towards for doctors and for food, okay? Then there's an extra $300 a month that are going towards the feeding program and the health clinic, or the health work they're trying to do for these men and women who are part of Daughters of Hope, okay? So we put that together, it's like about $4,200 total for the, for the entire year to go towards Molly and Dylan. Now, what I want to do this morning is simply give you an opportunity for an audience of one to express your love to Jesus by giving, okay? I'm not manipulating you. I'm not even getting your money. It's not for vintage and it's not for me. It's simply investing into our family members who are doing ministry in a different context than we are. Okay? So during ministry, I'm going to put this basket down on the floor. You can just walk by as we're doing ministry, and you can put that in the basket as your gift to God that will be for Molly and Dylan. Okay? Are you all cool with that? All right, let me pray for us.